from Isaiah 64, the first verse. Oh, that you, Lord God, would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down the mountain and it quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned in our sins. We have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteousness and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand, but not so. be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Do you hear within these words from the prophet Isaiah, the longing of Advent. The longing as he begins those, that passage from Isaiah 64, oh, that you would rend the heavens, oh, that you would split the heavens and come down. That is the cry of God's people from the time of the prophets through the time of that intertestamental period when God is seemingly silent and distant until that night in Bethlehem when a star shone in the sky and a young woman delivered the promise of hope. When the heavens were rent and God came down. You remember the Guinness Book of World Records? Elijah used to give us various facts that he would read in a book that he had. I think that they published that every year. Back in 1999, there was one record holder that was most obscure. They documented that a man in Indonesia named Bunkus, B-U-N-G-K-A-S, was at that time, and this is, shoot, 22 years ago now, at that time, Mr. Bunkus was the longest, or, 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 or had the record for the longest time living in a tree in Indonesia. The story was that Mr. Bunkus had climbed the tree in 1970 and had been there ever since. <laughs> he had 
used branches and the leaves of the tree to make something of a tree house, and that is where he stayed. No one really knew why he took up residence there, but as of 1999, there is where he remained. And who knows, he may still be living in the tree at some point, probably early in his adventure. Friends and family would come and stand at the bottom of the tree and ask him, come down, come down. But he remained. Maybe a bit of an odd way to kick off Advent. <laughs> Mr. Bunkus, our friend in the Indonesian tree, but it reflects in some ways, the cry of the prophet Isaiah. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Now, Isaiah's prayer morphed to a cry that God would come down into an examination or an introspection of the state of God's people at that time. He noted specifically two struggles that the people to whom God had called him to minister faced. He noted their suffering and their sinfulness. Let's start with the suffering of God's chosen people. I think probably because of the involvement of our country and our armed forces, maybe we see the suffering of the Jewish people most often associated with the Holocaust. But that's far from the only atrocity that they had ever suffered within their history or since that time. On the one hand, the Jewish people rightly, rightly believed themselves to be the chosen people with a special relationship to God. But on the other hand, even, even within the story of their origin, as God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Though God's people, there have been times when God seems so far removed. God's chosen people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, are not alone in the sentiment of asking the question, God, where are you? comes in circumstances or comes within the circumstances of life when a blow comes so devastating that we wonder if we'll be able to withstand it. Where are you, God, when a child is terribly injured or even killed in an accident? Where are you, God, when a spouse suffers so horribly before succumbing to cancer. Or as we view a virus that mutates and brings fear and seems to rage in places and within people out of control at times, we wonder why doesn't God just come down and straighten the whole mess out? Why doesn't God address the problems of world starvation or war or oppression or hunger or disease. Why don't you come down? We join in the prayer of the prophet Isaiah. 
Just as troubling as the suffering of the world is what lies within. There's the suffering without or outside of us. And then as, as we turn in a moment, a moment of introspection within our own hearts, we see a sinful person. Isaiah says in the passage we read a moment ago, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. You think of the relationship that the people to whom Isaiah ministered had with God. They were the ones chosen by God and given the law. They were the ones set apart as those who knew right. They were called to give witness to God's law. They had the law. They had a temple. This was their mission. They were elected to maintain the law. And like us, when Isaiah took stock of where things stood, he saw people with unclean hands and impure hearts. And like the ancient Israelites, we have a tendency to delude ourselves into thinking at times that even our own sin is eh, not that big of a deal. Right? We ignore how quickly sin can take root in our hearts and in our homes and destroy. We're numbed into thinking that it does not truly have power to block our view of God and leave us as slaves to our own desires or passions. Isaiah saw that the moral failing of the people and the abyss of sin that they wallowed within, that the answer to that question, the only hope that they had, was that God would come down and bring healing. Isaiah knew that it was the only thing that would pull them out of their predicament in which they found him found themselves. And of course, standing on this side of Jesus' birth and resurrection, as we see the nativity and the manger, we see it, of course, in the shadow of the cross. I guess my screen is blocking it pretty well right now, but you get the idea. God has come down. It's what Advent is all about. That God has come down to share our humanity. And in a little obscure town outside of Jerusalem, in a simple stable, God came down as a tiny baby, born to a humble couple from a little village called Nazareth. Isaiah's prayer was answered. God did rend the heavens and come down in the person of Jesus as the only hope in addressing the suffering and sin of created humanity. I was taken over these last few weeks as I've thought about what I might share during Advent. I was taken by a story I read in a sermon preached by a late 20th 
century pastor and theologian, a good Baptist pastor by the name of John Claypool, and he referenced in one of his sermons a play, <coughs> excuse me, written in 1945 by a German pastor. During that time, of course, Germany was very much reeling from the tragic impact, some of which would remain with that country for decades, associated with all that happened in World War II. This German pastor attempted to address some of what his congregation and his country and his people were experiencing. And within the play that he wrote, he set up a question of who held responsibility for all that was associated with Germany during that time. And within the play, the characters voice various options. Well, Hitler, the leader. And another character in the play suggested, well, maybe it was manufacturers who helped to finance and provide the munitions that created the power that Hitler wielded. And, and, and finally, someone said, maybe it was an apathetic German population trying to recover from World War I. And then they had a character in the play that the audience didn't know was part of the production who was seated in the audience. And during one portion of the play, all of a sudden, he stood up in the crowd and he yells out, do you want to know who is really to blame for all of the suffering associated with this dreadful war? The one responsible is God himself. God who created the world. God is the one who has let it be what it is. And as the play continues, God is put on trial. For the crime of creating the world. And as the trial concludes, God is found to be guilty. And the judge in the play sentences Almighty God to what is considered to be the worst of all sentences. He sentences God to live on the earth as a human being. And three archangels in heaven are given the task of carrying out the sentence. The first archangel walks to the edge of the stage in the play and says, I'm going to see to it when God serves his sentence that he knows what it's like to be obscure and poor. God will be born on the backside of nowhere with a peasant girl as a mother and there will be suspicion and shame about his birth. And the second archangel adds to the harsh penalty and says, I'm going to see to it that when God serves his sentence, that he knows what it's like to fail and suffer disappointment. No one will ever understand what he is trying to do. And the third archangel, as the play nears its conclusion, comes to the edge of the stage and says, I'm going to see to it that when God has served his sentence, he will know what it's like to suffer. 
I'm going to see to it that God suffers all kinds of physical pain, and at the end of his life, he is going to be executed in as painful a way as imaginable. And with that, the three archangels disappear and the house lights and the auditorium of the play fade all the way out. And the play ends. As the audience sits, they are left for a few moments in darkness as the reality dawns upon each person that God served the sentence. That God knew what it's like to be obscure and to be poor, and God knew what it's like to fail and suffer disappointment, and God knew what it's like to suffer a horrible death because God experienced all of this in the life and death of Christ Jesus. And with that existence, God became the answer to humanity's suffering and sin. Because God came down, just as Isaiah prayed he would so long ago.